$88.2 billion, the size of the New York City budget adopted yesterday for fiscal year 2021. After years of economic expansion and revenue growth, this is the first budget Mayor Bill de Blasio and Speaker Corey Johnson have had to negotiate in a recession. And the negotiations came down to the wire, with the council adopting the budget last night for the start of the 2021 fiscal year today, July 1st. City leaders may be breathing a sigh of relief for meeting the budget deadline after particularly arduous negotiations, but the fiscal crisis is far from over. CBC's Anna Champany joins us to discuss why this is just the beginning of tough choices for city leaders. Welcome to What's the Data Point from Citizens Budget Commission and Gotham Gazette. I'm Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. I'm Maria Dulles from the CBC. And we have a new city budget, as Maria said. So thanks for joining us here today. We're going to dig into some of it. There'll be a lot to unpack in the coming weeks and months, of course. And there's so many unknowns about the city's fiscal picture that a lot is probably going to change. The mayor continues to hold out hope for a federal bailout or state uh, permission to borrow billions. So there's a lot of things up in the air even aside from still needing to dig into a lot of the details of this budget. And it was a contentious budget vote at the city council. One of the, uh, one of the votes with the most no's that certainly I've seen in the last uh, eight, eight or so years with 17 no votes from the city council and 32 yeses, so quite interesting. So let's, let's dig into it all here with Anna Champney from Citizens Budget Commission. Um, Anna, how are you doing? I'm great, thank you for having me. Sure, thanks for coming back to talk with us. Um, so let's just start, I guess, the, there was a huge revenue decline here that the city was facing. Um, can you give a, a little overview of how the city got to a balanced budget that was quite a few billion dollars less than it was planning for it to be just a few months ago? Sure. So in some ways, the story starts back in January 2020 when we had a, a preliminary budget and it was balanced for fiscal years 20 and 21. Revenues look good. The economy was doing well. Um, and shortly thereafter, you know, the, we had the pandemic, which um, has shut down large parts of the city's economy and the national economy. Um, and it was uh, it led to really deep and dramatic revenue losses, much more so than a usual um, recession has. Um, and so there was, um, an, a, as the mayor has frequently said, a $9 billion shortfall in tax revenues. This is between the two years, between fiscal year 20 and 21. Um, and in addition to that, other city revenues, uh, fees and fines uh, have been, have come down a couple hundred million um, due to the reduction in economic activity. And the state budget also was enacted. Um, and that created a whole of $800 million in what the city had been expecting. And so the, the real gap that needed to be filled was sort of on the order of $10 billion. Um, and you're right. So back in, in January, we were looking at something like a $95 billion budget. As Maria said today, um, the budget is $88.2 billion. Uh, but there's a lot of nuance to those numbers, and, and, and so we should we will get into that. Uh, but how was it filled? So that's the question. So in April, the city proposed a series of actions. Uh, part of it was using reserves, about $4 billion, and that continues to be in the plan. Another was uh, proposing $2.7 billion in spending reductions um, and counting on about $2 billion in federal aid uh, from the first set of stimulus packages that were passed. 
And so that closed the gap, but tax revenues, you know, were performing worse than the city had been expecting. Um, and by the end of May, the forecasters at the Office of Management of Budget said we'd probably be about $1.6 billion lower than what they had been expecting just a couple months earlier. And that's sort of, you know, the mayor and the council had to figure out how to fill that gap. Um, and in addition to the new revenue hole, you know, the city council wanted to restore some of the cuts that the city proposed. Uh, things like summer youth employment, fair student funding, and other programmatic initiatives that they support. And they also wanted to secure the discretionary funding for council members, which is usually added at adoption. And so these were, these were the different pieces that were in play, as well as, um, and we'll talk about it, um, as well as the cuts to the so I was going to say, as, as you said, Mayor had been lobbying Washington for stimulus, lobbying the state uh, for long-term borrowing. Neither of those materialized. And so what we have is a budget that finds another $2 billion in spending cuts, $1 billion from agencies, and $1 billion in labor savings. But we have very few details on what this is, especially on the labor savings. Um, and so that, that's sort of how the, the gap was filled. So a couple of points I just want to make to echo some of the, the themes of what Anna described, right? So first, the city, I think what is different than other cases and other recessions is that there's no lag here, right? There was an immediate and deep decline in revenues. And, you know, that is very hard to contend with when you're already very far along in your fiscal year. Um, and so because of that, partly how that was filled in, in the immediate was relying on federal aid and also tapping a significant amount of reserves. And that was sort of like the very short-term stopgap for the fiscal year and having whatever reserves were available in the RHBT um, what was really critical to the, the sort of very immediate problem, to dealing with the very immediate problem. But now half of that, more than half of that is now gone. And I think, you know, while they deserve a lot of credit for making sure that the budget ended up balanced in fiscal year 20 under extremely volatile and, and you know, quickly evolving circumstances, part of what also should have happened was a more aggressive front on, okay, how are we getting ahead of the problem in 21 and 22? And so what Anna said, you know, what's been done is that there have been some additional cuts there not enough of that savings is recurring and a lot of that is is sort of um, a placeholder for these savings from labor now there's a lot of potential there on what could be done to realize those savings but as far as we know you know the discussions haven't really been happening to say like here are the avenues and here's potentially what could be done and you know that's one of the reasons why the mayor i think you know he sort of didn't want to have to make those, have those conversations or tough choices and was lobbying Albany extensively for the borrowing, which was thankfully turned down. Um, so that, you know, that, that was sort of how it all came together. Yeah, just a couple of things. I mean, one, you know, you say thankfully turned down. I mean, the, the borrowing situation has been fascinating on a number of fronts. One, in terms of how they're managing this fiscal crisis and this fiscal fiscal um, situation, which, you know, the mayor is obviously, you know, his word looking for a federal bailout of city uh, lost tax revenue. When that wasn't coming, he said, you know, he wanted the, the backstop of this state borrowing authority originally asking for $7 billion. He then adjusted that to $5 billion over two years, made some other concessions based on questions, I think, from the governor and the state legislature. But still, it seems the governor and the state senate were very hesitant to allow that borrowing authority. Um, there's some real 
you know, questions around exactly how the mayor, you know, was presenting a plan to to pay it back and, and the outstanding questions about the city's revenue picture, which is something I wanted to ask both of you about in a second. This $1 billion that he put in, he basically said, this is a placeholder for labor savings, right? And he said, we're going to either... Um, need to do layoffs around October 1st of upwards of, of 20,000 plus city employees, potentially. I think he was using as big a number as he could come up with to get to a billion dollars to sort of scare people. But, but still, that's, that's the number he put out there was 22,000 layoffs. But short of that, he's hoping that there's some real negotiation and concessions from the labor unions. You know, what's interesting is there's just been very little conversation around what that should really look like. Um, and so, those are some outstanding questions in terms of how labor can come to the table to avoid those layoffs and what the mayor should really be pushing for from labor in terms of wage freezes or those types of things. Right. I, I, I think you're right on the sort of right on that point and that they put in this billion dollars in labor savings. As far as we know, they haven't even guaranteed or, or said they would have a plan by a certain date. Um, you know, there is, as, as Maria said, a lot of potential. There could be savings through workforce efficiencies, changes in work rules. They could look at some of their health and welfare benefits. And, and we've, you know, at CBC identified ways to um, generate some savings there, either through efficiencies and consolidations or through uh, tackling what is a really uh, big cost for the city, which is health insurance premiums. And most city employees do not have to contribute to those premiums at all. Um, that is a much more generous benefit than the private sector, much more generous than even the state does. Um, and that would be a place where they could really start uh, to generate some savings and provide long-term benefit for the city's uh, finances. But I think what, what everyone needs to do is apply pressure that a plan with some concrete targets and, and goals be put out, or that at least we know what the contingency is, not just this set like, oh, 2,200 or 22,000 layoffs, but you know, if these savings don't materialize, what are the cuts that are going to be put in place? Um, yeah, and, and to just clarify a little bit also what I said, you know, but federal aid is necessary, right? Um, it's necessary for the city, for the state, for the MTA particularly. I mean, federal aid is needed to get through the current crisis and it's helped address all past economic crisis. And that's the, you know, that's an, an appropriate role for the federal government. Um, on the, on the labor side, the health insurance, there's a lot of fruit on that tree. And to give the de Blasio administration credit, you know, they had this good process with the unions to collaborate on finding savings. Now, were the savings all of the sort of caliber maybe that CBC would have preferred? No, there was some sort of accounting for things that, um, you know, we, we didn't think should count against the target, but the truth was they had a process. It was very, you know, it was successful. And th there's a mechanism for getting back to that on health insurance and saying, okay, how do we ratchet that up? Labor unions have come to the table at every fiscal crisis and been part of the solution. And considering that so much of what the city does is to provide services and you need a workforce to do that, it's very, you know, people intensive. Um, labor has to be part of the solution. And, you know, it, I don't, um, you know, there's, I want to talk a little bit about this notion of austerity, you know, austerity budgets, and we've seen this in other countries, particularly Europe in the last recession, you have employees taking pay cuts, right? Like they go home literally with less. 
that, you know, we're not even talking about that. The kinds of things that they can do um, are things like perhaps having wage freezes, but also giving up on some benefits that I think really would surprise people in the private sector. Like, for example, the teachers who have a guaranteed interest rate, uh, guaranteed return rate on some investments they make through what's known as the TDA, which is an addition to their pensions. So you're talking about things like that, which are, you know, um, uh, parts of the benefit package that you can really look at and identify savings for the city that'll put the city on a, on a firmer footing without necessarily um, hurting employees in the way layoffs would or even pay cuts would if things get too severe. And, and folks should understand, you know, that basically, and this is happening at the state level too, you know, nobody wants to make the really, really hard choices and, um, you know, or more drastic cuts or whatever it might be. So they're sort of trying to drag this out as long as they can in hopes of that federal money really coming through in a big way. And so there you have the mayor coming up with a balanced budget with this big labor placeholder um, and basically saying, you know, we, we won't need to do the layoffs until October 1st, but we're hoping to avoid that. So that gives him even more time to either get federal money in and or state borrowing authority to try to um, make up for that. I mean, one of the things that's becoming evident is the possibility that the state borrowing authority will basically just be for the for that labor money, right? And it goes down from the $7 billion ask all the way down to something like one or maybe, you know, one for, for a couple different years. I'm just doing a little more sort of political prognostication here, which is none of it is certain, but, you know, just reading some of the tea leaves about how they're kicking the can down the road and, and trying not to make these difficult decisions. You know, some of that stuff is evident that obviously the first thing they're looking for is the federal money. Right. And that's right. Um, and there is a bit of strategy involved, but, you know, like Anna has spent a lot of time in the numbers um, and has thought about, and I think has shown through a report that she did called Hard Choices about, you know, the city can balance the budget without having to resort to layoffs or the borrowing, at least right now, right? There is the very real risk that the revenue picture deteriorates more. There is the risk that there's a huge state aid hit as the state tries to balance its own budget. Those are real risks. Um, and, you know, they could kind of change the calculus later on. But Anna, talk a little bit about how you, you know, what you put together and some of the things the city could be doing instead of having to resort to these layoffs and borrowing. Sure. So I think we, um, we've looked at various um, ways that you could improve efficiency and government operations to um, save um, on city resources and, and make sure that you're getting sort of the biggest bang for the buck uh, for the taxpayers. And so we drew on some of the previous work that we've done um, in areas like sanitation, where there could be some efficiencies in collection productivity or other efforts to um, reduce the amount of waste that New Yorkers are throwing out that then needs to be collected and disposed of and trucked out um, or, or shipped out as the case may be these days. Um, so, so that's one area. We did make a recommendation in Hard Choices and it was a large part of our financial savings for the city was a headcount reduction of about 9,000 positions. So this would, um, at the end of 2019, there were about 327,000 uh, city employees uh, or positions. And this would bring uh, the headcount down to sort of about where the city was in 2008. So before the last recession, 
plus allow for the expansion of, of certain programmatic areas like the UPK, which um, is, is a signature initiative of the Deposio administration and did substantially increase headcount by about 6,000 hits. But the point being, you know, you can, there's been substantial growth in headcount, about 33,000 positions since um, the mayor came into office, and you can definitely trim that back without sort of severe reductions in services and generate a lot of savings. And based on the rate at which employees retire and resign from city service, um, you can do this through attrition. Um, roughly, you know, 20,000 employees are leaving every single year. And so even if you just sort of, if you're not hiring some portion of that, you can generate a, this kind of headcount reduction. So you don't necessarily have to go to the layoffs. Um, so that was one large part of, of what we were recommending. And the other was what we were talking about previously, which is employee um, contributions to health insurance, retiree contributions to health insurance, um, which would both have long-term benefits for the city. There are other. And, now, and then, mm -hmm. Oh, in this budget plan, they haven't come to any agreement on the, on the latter, on the, on the health insurance, but on the former, they're doing some reduction in, in headcount, right? So what, yeah, we haven't, we haven't seen any numbers. My understanding from what the budget director said at one of the press conferences was 1,600. Um, I don't, you know, they, they've made a decision not to run one uh, class in the police academy that's about 1,200. Um, so I don't know if, if that, that seems to be a large chunk of what the reduction might be. I don't know where else uh, they're reducing uh, the headcount. But I think, you know, it's, it's, not very far given how much the growth has come um, yeah. well, up he, recently. I mean, they had put in some version of a hiring freeze for a little while now expecting, you know, realizing how much the city personnel was growing and the budget was growing and seeing some storm clouds on the horizons well before this crisis. So we'll have to, we'll have to dig into those numbers in the future in terms of exactly what they're, what they're doing on any hiring freezes and such, uh, Obviously, the NYPD headcount was a big piece of the discussion as this deal came together, but there's a lot more to it than that. Um, yeah, and, and the growth, I mean, other than, than the Department of Education, where, where some of the growth was the universal break, but there was growth both in, in central admin and in the pedagogical positions. Almost all of the city agencies have seen their headcount increase for a variety of initiatives and efforts. So this hasn't this growth um, hasn't been sort of concentrated just in one area, but really an across the board uh, decision to increase the workforce. We talk about the tax revenue picture and the forecasts and what you know. I mean, does anybody really have a sense of what's going to happen here? Is this budget built on a little bit of? And again, not to their fault, you know, maybe not to their fault, any fault of theirs, but is it built on very shaky ground in terms of forecasting? The, the economic forecast is really um, a lot harder to do, and, and by extension, the tax revenue forecast now than in prior recessions. Because this is being caused by the pandemic, which is requiring a certain kind of shutdown of the economy. It's hitting different sectors of the economy than an economic recession generally does. And we don't know about the ability to reopen. You know, the city has been cautiously reopening along uh, with the state. We see that other parts of the country are having to dial back their reopening, you know, and we don't really, you know, no one knows. And so I think they're doing the best that they can uh, with the data. 
it looks like 2020 is going to be pretty flat. So the 2020 taxes will be close to what they were the prior year. Um, Maria noted, you know, we had very, the city had very immediate drops in sales tax and hotel tax and, and transaction taxes. So when the economy shut down, these transactional taxes dried up really quickly. Um, and so the rate at which the economy can reopen, tourism can come back, you know, the Broadway shows aren't going to reopen. And so, and, and that's, a, and the tourism may not be there. And so you're going to have, um, you know, there's long-term impact. The city right now expects revenues to go down about five and a half percent next year, which is pretty typical for a recession. Uh, but then they're also expecting a pretty quick upbeat in 22, an increase of 8.7%. And there really is a lot of downside risk there um, that the recovery will not be a V-shape as the economists talk about it, but um, more of a U or a slower recovery. And that the gaps, you know, there's still budget gaps in 22, 23. Recessions are never sort of one or two year problems. They tend to linger and, and those gaps could be larger and the need to make additional cuts or additional uh, reductions in spending are, are pretty significant. And, you know, as Maria said, we used a lot of, the city used a lot of reserves, $4 billion. There's not that much left. You know, yeah. There are some budget reserves, but that's not a well that you can tap in the future. And, and it's unclear what, you know, what federal money there will be and, and for what time period. Um, so we're really not out of the woods yet. Um, and certain taxes, as I said, some taxes like sales tax get very quickly. Um, others like the income tax are going to lag because of when, when those taxes are paid and due. And so uh, some of those, you know, we still don't quite know what will happen. Um, and then there, there's even like an immediate concern about property taxes. You know, big payments were due today uh, for the first quarter of the, the first uh, quarter of fiscal 21. Uh, those monies are essential for the city for cash flow and to be able to pay their bills. A lot of businesses, you know, have not been receiving rent from their tenants um, or, or property owners. So it's unclear, you know, how much delinquency there may be and what kind of problems this might cause for the city in the immediate. So a lot of a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. The city is doing the best that it can, but um, incredible downside risk on the tax revenues. Yeah, yeah, I think on on the revenue side, we're really in uncharted territory, right? I mean, this was like a government propelled shutdown of the economy. We've never seen anything like this before. The governor has this very um, you know, clear kind of indicators on how things proceed for reopening, but also has been clear about, well, you know, if the certain indicators get out of line, then things will will roll back. And if that happens, you know, then we're really, you know, it's, it's hard to predict what that whipsaw would look like um, for the economy and for revenues. But I think, you know, that gets to sort of Anna's problem, which is the risk is not just in the immediate few months, but also what that looks like as it builds into the revenue base for the future and the fact that this is a multi-year problem. And I think that is the key critique of this, of this budget because, you know, as the negotiations were going on, um, you know, there was this sort of like, okay, well, how are we, we going to balance the budget? And then I think all the attention then focused on the issues with the police department and li li very little of that had to do, if any, with closing the budget gap, right, and addressing the long-term problem. It was about solving, you know, for these, this policy, these policy issues. And, um, and so I think as a result, that, that's sort of where we didn't see the action and the push 
towards solving for more of the multi-year problem and rather it was just about getting to the finish line and getting over the hump for this year but it's still a lot more work to be done mm-hmm. yeah i think that's well said i mean it's really startling and obviously everybody's recognized this but you know you're dealing with the most catastrophic public health and economic crises we've seen maybe ever or at least maybe in a century and then you add on to it um you know just this this huge reckoning with the police department and structural racism and, and the, the move to defund the police and shift resources. I mean, it totally shifted the budget picture away from this focus on the sort of structure and the balancing the budget and cuts and savings and such to a, a very much more mixed picture, even with more focus on the police side. So, um, you know, obviously there's not a lot of reason to, to look back and wonder, but, you know, it, it would have been, of course, interesting to see what would have happened if they were sort of just, quote unquote, dealing with a huge economic crisis. Um, so why don't we just take a couple quick minutes on that, on that policing subject. Um, Anna, what, what are some, you know, some of the big picture things people should know? Uh, I mean, I'll just say quickly, you know, it's very funny, like the people who want to call it, um, a billion dollar cut to the NYPD, you know, the mayor sort of trying to, uh, say that that's what it is. And then lots of people who are opponents of the mayor and the city council are saying that's what it is. And meanwhile, city council speaker, Corey Johnson in a defeated way is saying, no, we didn't get there. It's not even close really to a real billion dollar cut to the NYPD. So there's a lot of murky stuff going on. Yeah, and we, we may do a little mini episode on this very topic, but Anna, I think you should right. just give people the broad strokes um, so they can understand what happened. Right. So the the NYPD budget um, was about $5.6 billion this year, um, and that's the agency budget. Then there's some additional, not some, a lot of additional costs for pensions and fringe benefits that brings the, the total up by another $5 billion or so. Um, and so this is the kind of the pot of money that was being looked at for the billion dollar reduction. And there were a lot of discussions about what services should be within the department, what services should not. And so one large decision has been to move the school safety function, which had been moved out of the Department of Education into the NYPD um, many, many years ago. And is about, I think, roughly 300 million in, in the department, um, move that back out uh, to DOE and put those officers and employees under DOE supervision rather than NYPD um, and a push. Um, so, so that is one sort of change. Another has been, as I said, they're not going to be running one of the uh, classes, which was supposed to be over 1,100 uh, new police officers in July. Uh, and so they're saying that's a, a reduction in the uniformed um, headcount, which is about 36,000 and change right now. Uh, you know, the council had increased the size of the uniform police force in, in 2015. And so this is uh, rolling back most of that uh, increase. And that will generate some modest savings. A lot of the reduction is to come from overtime savings. And, and NYPD is by far the, the agency with the largest chunk of overtime spending in the city. Uh, and between the civilian and uniform forces, it's been on the order of $700 million a year for the past few uh, more than 500 of that coming from the, the uniform force. And so the agreement is to reduce that by about $350 million, essentially in half, uh, again, without a whole lot of details about how it's going to be implemented, just that, you 
know, this will be managed by the, the department. And, you know, I think they're planning to move out some of the functions and some of the enforcement of things like vendors and, and um, other things like that, which could reduce the workload, doing some redeployment. There've been a lot of discussions in the past about sort of uniformed officers doing uh, more administrative functions that could be handled by civilians rather than being out on the street doing patrol. Um, so I think they're, they're seeking that, but I think attaining those kind of overtime reductions in one year is really um, wishful thinking. Um, and so, and my understanding is those are the big pieces. Then there's some smaller reductions on equipment and, and contracts and other things, but those are, I think, the three big pieces. Yes, yeah, I don't a, know that you can reduce over time by, quote, just approaching things a different way. Right. Yeah, I mean, they're going to need very much so to flesh out what that looks like and what the actual new protocols are and, and how they're going to how they're going to execute that. I mean, um, yeah, I, I don't I haven't seen a single person um, really, aside from the mayor, who seems to really be taking that very seriously as a as a likely goal that can be met but um you know of course we'll see uh and there'll there'll be further discussions clearly around some of these shifts and what they really mean and you know we had of course a great conversation on this podcast a while back about um efforts to desegregate city schools and it might be really uh, you know interesting to talk about the sort of structuring of school safety and what that looks like in light of some of these shifts because some people are saying you're just moving, you know, police officers under the Department of Education. They're going to keep doing the same thing. And then you have other people promising changes to how they operate. You have people concerned about school safety, of course, and you have people concerned about over policing schools. So there's a lot of different dynamics to that discussion that will be unpacked uh, uh, coming up, whether whether we, we tackle them or not. But they're really important parts of that conversation. And then, you know, there was, I think you met, you just uh, sort of got at this a tiny bit, Anna. There, you know, there's this, the mayor seemingly this is this was reminiscent to me of when there was a city council push in 2015 for a thousand new officers and then de blasio came in and said we're doing 1300 and sort of like yeah, that, that was this, breton because he said well no i don't want them for patrol i need counterterrorism." and right, so the right, compromise right. was more yeah. yeah the mayor was like saying yeah. we don't need to do any of it and then all of a sudden went over the top you know he didn't do the billion operating change to nypd that people were calling for but he kind of came in over the top with this capital money, which I think was almost, you know, a different way of sort of spinning that he was really listening to people and and take and, and it may turn out to be that 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 is uh, helpful to meet whatever goals you know he's trying to meet with those. But um, you know, there was he is promising this big shift in capital money away from NYPD projects to uh, youth and NYCHA projects, which was also a piece of the, the puzzle there. Is there anything on the capital side of the budget that we should talk about now, or should we sort of save that? There really, you know, other than this discussion of the, the shift in a half a billion from the police to some of these youth recreational and, and public housing um, projects, there really wasn't much discussion, and it's not clear um, sort of what, what that will be. The the budget documents for the commitment plan, which really lays out the projects and the plan over the next few years, actually don't come out until the fall. And so uh, adoption, we really do tend to focus on the operating budget. Um, but the city really does need to be thinking, you know, the capital plan is very, very large. It is well over $100 billion over the 10 years the city has been committing, you know, 
10 more, I think more than $10 a year. So this is a substantial expenditure. Debt service to support this is a large part of the operating budget and continues to grow. And there really should be, you know, it, it was part of our hard choices. There really should be a focus on state of good repair. You know, we don't want to let the city's assets and infrastructure fall into disrepair because um, that is sort of Pennywise pound foolish. Is that the right um, expression? But, um, you know, there are some expansion plans that are being pursued. There are new projects and this really might not be the time to do those or really to evaluate those carefully and, and to dial back the plan so that you're spending you're going to have the most benefit for um, the city's residents. Um, so I think we're thinking about, you know, going into the next 10-year planning cycle next year to really think about what is the way to, to think about how to prioritize your capital dollars. Well said. Okay. Well, uh, as Maria said at the top, you know, this budget deal came together at the very last minute, much more last minute than in years past when there was a much rosier picture and they were just basically deciding how much money to throw at all sorts of different things. Um, and it was, as I said, a contentious city council vote going even past midnight into the new fiscal year with a a pretty rare uh, high number of, of no votes, um, both from mostly motivated by the NYPD uh, decisions, both from the left and the right, people who didn't think it went far enough and people who thought it went too far. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of specific programs that are either seeing uh, sort of small to modest cuts. There are programs that were restored, as Maria said, like summer youth employment. So there's gonna be a lot more specifics to unpack as we actually get to read the budget documents and and look further so we'll obviously continue this conversation as we see how the what the budget really looks like and how the fiscal picture continues to unfold so thanks anna as always thank you for having me and if folks want more information there's of course um cbc's statement on the budget and then anna's uh report on how the city should have and and in some ways still could address some of its fiscal issues and we have a write-up at Gotham Gazette of the budget deal and the vote and some of the specifics therein. So plenty more for folks to read up past this conversation. Maria, Anna, good to talk to you. Talk to you again soon. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.